There are family stories that haven't been told. But be careful what you wish for. We're heading back in time and demons are lurking. On This Week in Time Travel, we're discussing Demons of the Punjab. Well, last we talked to you, Alyssa, you were about to go into serious lockdown mode. And we are coming back to talk together about Doctor Who after a bit of an extra delay because... Girl, you've been kind of busy defending democracy the last couple of weeks. Just a little bit. Hi, everybody. It's very good to be back. I'm very, very tired. I still have not caught up on all of the sleep that I have lost over this past month. But now we're feeling we're feeling really, really good. We had some amazing wins on Election Day. You all may remember that I talked a few episodes ago after Rosa about being particularly excited about one candidate in Georgia, Lucy McBath. She won her election. So many fantastic women won their elections. Uh, we endorsed 23 women who could flip uh, Red Seats Blue who won on election night. So y'all, I helped flip the house, which is fantastic. And we also got two really big wins in the Senate, Democratic candidates who flipped some seats. So I'm feeling really, really good. We had a lot of amazing wins. I have cried a lot over some incredible women. I met Sharice Davids earlier this week. I definitely was shaking and nearly about to cry. I'm, I'm a little emotional, but uh, it's been a good it's been a good couple of weeks. It's been inspiring watching you at work. You know, I, I I feel so inadequate in comparison. You spent the last couple of weeks flipping the house, flipping Senate seats. And all I've done in the last couple of weeks is flip a table because some of my friends made jokes about me liking the end of time. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going right back into it. Going right for the big fights, aren't we? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand how it is that just because somebody doesn't hate an extremely popular episode that everybody thinks that it's suddenly something to target me for. You're so easily baited, though. No, I'm not. (laughs) Says the man who flipped a table. Anyway, before we get into Demons of the Punjab, any quick reactions to Suranga Conundrum, which uh, Rachel and I discussed last time? It happened. Oh, my. I'm not particularly happy with the last episode. I found it severely underwhelming and eyebrow raising at several moments. You know, when you watch an episode and you go, oh, here's the merchandise episode of the season. That's what that episode was. Yeah, um, okay. I don't know if that puts me out of the mainstream view. I have been away for a while. I don't know what people's reactions to that story was. What, you don't listen to your own podcast when you're away? I didn't listen to my own heartbeat for several days last week. I'm sorry I wasn't listening to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Rachel and I kind of liked it, although we found it not to be terribly on the deep side. But I I think that that's... uh, Okay, Uh, over the Skype video, a bit of a cringe uh, was just generated at us. That that wasn't, I wasn't cringing at your opinions. I was cringing because I thought of a really bad joke that I shouldn't say because it's mean. Uh, I'm used to it. The reason we have called you all here together is Demons of the Punjab, which we watched a while back because this is a delayed episode. And it's another historical along the same lines as Rosa. 
It's kind of a nice middle ground because it's not pure historical, but it also isn't like the Shakespeare code worthy of sci-fi intervention into historical. It's kind of historical with light sci-fi touches that there are things going on that are somehow futuristic, somehow a little bit alien, but they aren't really impacting the core of the historic moment. It's, it's happening at the edges. It is something that can provide a vehicle into how we view the story. It provides some reason for our uh, heroes to stay in a moment that otherwise they should know better than to be interfering with. So it's a kind of a nice entry point into these stories. I'm not saying anything bad ab- about the pure historicals. I think they have their place and they can be fascinating and good um, on their own and still accessible. But I think this suits a modern audience very nicely, that it can provide them with a way in. And, you know, it, it does feel a little bit like sneak history lesson sometimes, but in the best way possible. I don't think it's history lesson for the sake of it. I think it's these new writers telling interesting and compelling historical stories and bringing them into sort of the modern Doctor Who format. Um, So it it walked a a good line for me. Yeah. Uh, Comparing this to the other historical of the season, Rosa, the point of Rosa appears to me to be the history lesson. But the point of Demons of the Punjab, it feels more to me like the point is the emotional drama of the episode, that the history serves as the backdrop to a tragic love story and everything that goes with it. So we learn a lot along the way if we didn't know much about the history of the partition of India. But I felt like I was watching history happen in Rosa, and I felt like I was watching Yaz's family's history in Demons of the Punjab. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I think with Rosa, for me, the story is a lot more focused on a incredibly well-known individual. So there's there's a lot of story details that we already know going into it, um, particularly, I think, the American audience who would have grown up hearing more about her story than an international audience would have. So that, I think, influences our reception of the episode. But for me, that story is really sort of about a struggle against injustice and what it means to travel in time when you are entering time periods that are incredibly fraught, that are incredibly unjust, that you may want to side on the side of the people who are fighting against injustice. But as time travelers, you can have an unknown interference in their lives and in their struggle, not always for the better. So for for me, that's more of a wrestling with what is the best way to fight injustice kind of story. I think this story, you know, the whole focus of it and the point of it, really, especially with when you have the aliens coming in, is to highlight the individual unknown tragedies that occurred during an incredibly traumatic event. You know, 
This was a story of a family, it's not famous, it's not well known. And it's a story that probably many families have a lot of similarities to in their own personal histories. And the point of it is really that it was so common and so unacknowledged and unrecognized that it's about bringing that story out and acknowledging it and recognizing it properly. So that to me is sort of uh, where the difference is, is about tackling a very well-known story versus bringing up and recognizing a story that we know would have happened that is in many families' personal histories, but that are incredibly difficult for them to talk about. You know, this is, it's not just even really sort of about our larger institutional failure to talk about the partition, because I don't know about you, Chip. I knew the partition had happened. I knew that it had horrific consequences, but I didn't know quite the scale of what had happened. I didn't really know the intimate details of what had happened. It just, it simply wasn't covered in my history classes in high school. But what was particularly impactful for this was it's not just about the institutional failure to teach that story. This is about Yaz's own grandma being so traumatized by what happened that she can't even pass this story on to her own family, that she has struggled to relate this story. And that's something I could, you know, really relate with. I've had a lot of family members tell me stories about some of my other family members after they passed, really kind of horrific and traumatic stories that occurred in their childhood that I had no idea had happened to them. They had never discussed it with me because it's so difficult and painful to share those traumatic stories, uh, especially down the generations. So it's really about talking about the family horrors that we sort of carry from generation to generation and how those details get lost, as well as sort of the institutional failure to bring up and discuss these stories. And that was something that came across. Uh, I had the pleasure of watching this episode alongside 16 of our fellow favorite geeks crammed into Rachel Donner's apartment in New York. First of all, the room was almost uniformly just sort of swept away by this episode. There was a lot of love for this episode. Second thing was one of the fascinating thing that, things that happened afterwards was several of us started telling grandmother stories. Stories about things that had been locked away, difficult things that they had described to their granddaughters and grandsons later in life. I, I talked a little bit about having recorded a conversation with my late grandmother before she passed away, talking about her husband's life, a man who died in World War II before getting to meet my father. So this story really evoked strong feelings in so many people in that room about the power of family history and how complicated it is and how hard it is to dredge it up sometimes. And Yaz can't resist the temptation. She's hanging out with a time traveler now. She wants to see it for herself. And could you do that? I'm not sure that I could. You know, knowing what I know of some of my older relatives' family lives, I don't know that I could. There are so many complicated and difficult stories. And, you know, my family is certainly not the worst impacted, you know, for all of the personal struggles that they went through. None of them had to live through a traumatic event like 
going through the partition. And that is a unique level of trauma. And it's a difficult thing for Yaz, especially. I was watching this and thinking what it must be like for her, for the character to discover this, because this is not just, you know, a story about her grandmother. This is a story about her own origin, her own story, her own legacy, and what this event did to her family, what her family could have looked like, what her family did eventually look like. The fact that her grandmother left and fled so far is, you know, not simply just that she saw a place on a map and decided that's far away and sounds exotic. I want to go there, but also in a way kind of being driven, um, driven out of her own country, driven from one country to another. That's a lot to process and to cope with, to understand sort of your own family roots in such a uh, big national event like that. You know, it, it's hard enough to contemplate going back into any of my family's early lives and deciding that I want to see what they went through as kids. You know, I think about my dad and he served in the Vietnam War and I would not want to go back to see that for anything. You know, seeing my dad struggle with that during his life was hard enough. I don't know if I'd be able to do that. There's a point that's made for the second time in as many episodes. Graham is a voice of restraint, not so much in terms of secrecy, but in terms of the people's right to not tell their stories. In Saranga Conundrum, he has words with the engineer because the engineer is trying to figure out what afflicts his sister, the general. And Graham casually says, well, you know, Maybe she's got a reason for not sharing that with you. He has that moment with Yaz as well in this episode. Yaz is in disbelief that there are aspects of her grandmother's life that I think Yaz uses the word lie there. And I think Graham kind of corrects him that people have the right to tell their own stories in their own way. And I don't know, you know, this episode was written by Vinay Patel, not by Chris Chibnall. I don't know how much influence Chibnall had on this story, but I'm really kind of impressed with this through line for Graham in this story. That's two weeks in a row that he's sort of come in and defended the right of people to keep the private parts private. He's kind of an interesting character that has developed. You know, he's sometimes comic relief, but sometimes just kind of a voice of experience that is especially helpful for Ryan and Yaz to have, to be able to hear from him and learn from that. It's an interesting sort of separation of the doctor's role a little bit, because that's often been a role that sort of the doctor has played in their companions' stories, uh, in their lives, because the doctor has been an older voice of experience to be able to step in and say, you will understand when you have a little bit more under your belt, when you've experienced a little bit more. Um, Especially for the companions that have been coded as sort of young ones, you know, the doctor sort of mentor-mentee relationship ones, as opposed to so many of the modern ones have been coded as nearly boyfriend-girlfriend type. 
Yeah. But even then, sometimes the doctor has played that kind of role with them. And the 13th doctor seems to do that a little bit occasionally, but it's not really a core part of what she's doing. You know, she's out there in the action, really trying to figure out, solve the mysteries, fight against the bad guys. And that's not really sort of been a core part of what she's doing. And I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not necessarily upset. I think I'd like to see her do that a little bit more. I'd like to see a little more development of the the doctor's relationship with her companions because we're starting to get we're starting to get some of that. You know, we're starting to to really see a development in a relationship there. And I think it's a role that she should still be able to play. Sure. This is a bit more of a sci-fi story than Rosa, given that the sci-fi angle in Rosa was a space-proud boy, comes back in time, tries to disrupt history. Well, I don't know. Is it? I mean, there's lots more alien stuff going on, but in the end, they're not the plot. Are they? not sure where you're going with this. What are you asking me? <laughs> ah, well, okay. The first time I watched this, I admit that the episode didn't sit super well with me um, because once we figured out that the aliens were basically the equivalent of, as Jonathan Comstock mentions in a tweet to the podcast uh, earlier this week, they're kind of playing the same role as Babylon 5's Soul Hunter characters, you know, characters that come in and witness deaths and in B5 story, they capture the souls and things like that. But so... We spend the first half of the episode with a lot of running and jumping because these aliens are supposed assassins and they're trying to figure out how to escape the assassins, how to protect the family from the assassins, how to solve the problems. And then in the end, no, the aliens are just there to observe and the story really is just about the partition of India and the breakup of the family and the doctor and her friend's decision that they cannot intervene. There's a lot of sci-fi to the story, but I don't feel like the sci-fi is part of the plot. I think it's a little bit part of the plot in that the aliens, even though they're supposed to just simply be there and observing and acknowledging what's happening, they inadvertently end up influencing events as well because they are seen, they are noticed, they drive fear and suspicion between all of the characters there, which is a little bit sort of like what the doctor and team are like. You know, they think that they're just going to go back and pop in for an hour on Yaz's grandma and that they're not going to interfere. And they end up interfering quite a bit and also driving the plot and the conversation forward. And sometimes they are part of the influencing and driving the fear and division that's taking place between these neighbors, between these families. But they are more often trying to act as a bridge, trying to bring the community back together. You know, you have the doctor officiating the wedding when no one else is available or would agree to participate in it. You have the team coming together to support Umbreen and Prim and to try to mend the problems that exist in this family. You have Stagnite, where all the Men are talking together, and there's conversation both between Prem and his brother, and then also with Ryan and Graham participating, trying to mend what's happening there. So for me, the aliens may not be a core part of the plot necessarily, in that they are not necessarily like either 
the allies who are going to fix the situation nor the enemies that need to be defeated in order to fix the situation. But they're not unimportant to it. They are still driving the plot in some directions. I think there are parallels between the aliens and the tragedy that's happening as well because they lost their own home and now they are taking up a new duty to honor and acknowledge the forgotten dead. And it's very, very similar um, to what's happening uh, in this story. There was an interview with Vinay Patel where he said, the greatest tragedy of partition is that the people it affected were people who are not remembered or acknowledged, making them nobodies. To focus on them felt like a really exciting thing and an important thing to do. So I think that's the really what the purpose is of the aliens, to highlight who this story is focusing on, who is important here. So I don't think they need to really be like the primary driver of the plot. They serve another story purpose. The second time I watched it, I enjoyed this episode a lot more because I went from not being surprised and kind of wishing that the plot was going to surprise me a bit to the story's inevitability being actually more compelling, being more interesting. I was able to pay attention to the heaviness and the emotionality of the story. And in the end, his face rising up among a constellation of other forgotten lost was really compelling to me. Yeah. I mean, I think that was kind of the gut punch of the story. Everything about those final few minutes was incredibly difficult to watch. You know, it, it's also similar to Rosa. It's another situation in which the only thing the doctor can do is not interfere in something incredibly unjust that is happening, that the doctor has to be forced to let it happen in order for history and timelines to remain correct. She has to remain a part of the moment in which Rosa Parks is ordered to stand because that's the only way that Rosa's movement against the segregated buses can happen. Like they needed a moment for the lawsuits that were going to follow. And so she became a part of that. And this is a situation in which intervening in it would have unraveled Yaz's own personal timeline, that it would have erased Yaz from existence, that there was nothing that she could do to sort of fix that moment. It had already happened. It had created the future in which they were a part of. And that's an interesting and difficult position to, to continue to put the doctor in. And it's interesting, too, because these are both stories written by writers of color, the first ever in Doctor Who's history. And they have both written stories in which the Doctor is not the hero and isn't really supposed to be the hero, that this is not her moment to fix. This is not something that can magically undone, be undone because the doctor is just so incredible and so powerful. These are real injustices that happened, that took place, and they sort of stand as their own moments, either for other people to stand up against injustice or to be lost because the doctor didn't fix everything. Speaking of the doctor, I loved Jodie Whittaker's performance in this episode. Uh, she was so good. Yeah, she finally gets her it is defended kind of moment in the early going. 
And then in the end, um, Jodie Whittaker just played it so perfectly. When that gunshot happens, she winces briefly and then eyes open resolutely forward. It is perfectly doctorish. Jodie Whittaker handles that pitch perfectly. And the companions, all four of them, you know, they are saddened, but they move. They know what they have to do. They know that they can't hang around. This is not their story anymore. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a top-notch job for everybody, this story. And especially Mandip Gill, like, that was a stellar performance from her. She really had to sort of wrestle with big, complicated emotions. And it wasn't all sad and heavy, you know? There was light moments, moments that she got to enjoy being with her family. It was a difficult one for her as well. And it's nice to see Yaz as a character really get her moment to shine, to be able to stand out. Because Arachnids in the UK was good, was fine, it was good to see Yaz with her family. But like, this is really focusing on Yaz's journey and how her character is really changing as a result of being with the doctor. So it's good to kind of get a nice standout moment for her. Our friend Joy Piedmont, co-producer of Reality Bomb, and I were talking over this weekend about Yaz, and we were speculating over how maybe one of the issues that, you know, we, we all, all season long we've been like, we want more Yaz, we want more Yaz. Yaz is really together. Yaz is a police officer. Yaz is responsible. Yaz is clear, and she's a woman of action. Whereas Graham and Ryan's stories have been a little more, you know, they've suffered through more loss. They've had more obstacles to overcome and things like that. This is finally the moment for Yaz to have an inner life, but I'm thinking that it's not necessarily been so much of a problem as that the the character simply hasn't had a whole lot of avenues for complication and story time because she's just been she's the character's just been called upon to to be solid to be the ian of the group perhaps Mm -hmm. i think the other thing i'm trying to keep in mind is that we're still really at the beginning of all of this. You know, it's episode six of their first season. It's still a long, long way to go with all of these characters and a lot more opportunities to dive deep into their stories and really get a good look at all of them. So I definitely want to see more Yaz, and I'm trying to keep in perspective. We got lots of time. You know, we're going to... It gonna get lots of gas, Alyssa. It doesn't feel like lots of time. We've <laughs> we're all we've only got four more episodes of the series, but then there will be more. Have but you seen the ratings? BBC is not going to cancel us after I have, this one. Oh, I have seen the ratings, but I don't know how long we're going to have this configuration of the cast. That worries me a little bit. That's true, but also, you know, apart from Graham. You know, Bradley Walsh maybe would duck out and get another role. Jody is definitely not leaving after one season. It feels like Mandip and Tosin probably would stay for another 
year or two, you know? They're still fairly young actors. This is like their first major, major role, as far as I can tell. Tosin was in Star Wars, but uh, as a character that I believe did not stay long. So, and that was, I did not discover he was in Star Wars until he was in Doctor Who. So like, you know, this is a good opportunity for them. I have a feeling they'll stick around. I certainly hope so. I would like all four of them. This is such a great TARDIS team. I am the eternal optimist. So was this your favorite of the year so far? I don't think it was my favorite of the year so far. I think nothing's quite hit me as hard as Rosa has. But this was definitely very, very, very good. Top-notch story. Really enjoyed it. I don't think it's my favorite of the year either. But man, the second watch just elevated it for me so much and powerful acting powerful performances and second time around i even loved the aliens that's good this week on the incomparable network last week it was 2001 and stanley kubrick this week it's 2010 and peter hyams on the incomparable Erica and Steven power through four episodes of The Wheel in Space in a weekend. That doesn't sound like lazy Doctor Who to us. And there's a podcast called Robot or Not, and the latest one is about soup. I just, I I can't even explain. You can find all this and more at theincomparable.com. Well, we will be back next week later than normal because we're now in holiday season. Uh, Yay, pumpkin pie! Somebody send me a recipe for a low-carb pumpkin pie, please. Uh, so next week's episode will be similarly delayed when we get to talk about Kerblam! From the site of Amazon HQ2, here's hoping it's a very pointed story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you can find our episodes and so much more at thisweekintimetravel.com. We're on Twitter at DRWhoThisWeek. I'm on Twitter at Numeral Two Minute Time Lord. Alyssa tweets and tumbles at Whovian Feminism. And this podcast exists on Facebook. Thanks to Christopher Breen for our original theme music and to David J. Lore for our original podcast logo and artwork. Please review us on Apple Podcasts and consider becoming a member of the Incomparable Network. And uh, yeah, it'd be great if you told all your friends about us too. Alyssa, go back to sleep. Uh... We'll see you next time on This Week in Time Travel. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.